Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Welcome back to the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, church and beer. Thank you for joining us for our fifth and final episode of To Be or Not To Be, answering existential questions. Now let's join our hosts, Tim Curley and Colton Pierce. Number seven, what existed before the universe was created? (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? That's one of those interests. If there is, assuming there is a heaven and God does question and answers every day, that'd be one of those I'm sure that gets asked all the time. Unless I guess one is just aware of it once. Once one goes to heaven, whatever heaven is. So, I don't know. I just say that the computer, the, the computer wasn't turned on yet. So <laughs> the simulation wasn't there yet. Which you know, at one time, at one time, even in my lifetime, it was assumed that the universe always existed. I don't the big. I don't know when the Big Bang theory, like, was ginned up. I thought it was in the twenties. No, was it? But it maybe didn't take on. I don't think it. T- I it. I might be wrong, but it seemed like it. It it gained popularity. I think with the popularity of quantum mechanic, quantum physics. Uh, I, again, I might be completely wrong, but I it mean, just remember, seemed like it was a big topic. Remember, science initially did not. We talked about this a long time ago, but something worth uh, visiting is science did not want the Big Bang theory to be true. Right. That was something that proved so you what you had with the universe being constantly always there was like the universe and kind of like a way was this idea of God. It was not created, it has always been here. It has continued to float through space or like space has continued to exist for years and years and years and years and it will always stay the same, blah blah. And then we find out and again here's lots of evidence that people maybe are not big fans of, but still this is the truth, knowing that the space is constantly expanding from an epicenter point. Yeah. There is a point that we have had this explosion that has happened from space and we are constantly drifting further and further and we are going at an increasing speed and all those types of things. Very common with an explosion. And again, that's what's really cool about physics and understanding there are rules that our world that are that just and when I say our world, but just the solar system plays by it's a universal language so to speak where just we are able to understand things based off of those rules that are in play until something comes in and shakes that to its core those are the hypotheses and the theories that we are able to create and so what was crazy was they didn't want that to happen because now what you have is now there becomes this creation point this point of creation to where you can sit there and say like we have on the show that god created 
everything through this big bang, mm-hmm. right? Like you can sit there and say that. Before it was, nope, the universe has always been here. There's no sh- sign of creation. This has been here for years and years and years and years and years. And so um, this was crazy um, when it came out. But now it's become this thing where it's the heathen thing. This is the science thing. This is not associated with religion at all. Um, but it's just funny because when it was first invented, people thought that this now proved this proved religion true. And now it's yeah. the opposite. So, um, yeah, what came before then, I think just simply put, I mean, is God um, is the easy part, the easy one to say. I did think about this the other day, but if you think about it, uh, just um, – Oh, there used to be a programming that you had to do for drafting or whatever where you have an infinite plane on a computer, right? That you have infinite planes on both sides. And, like, it's like that space, like, based off of our own, what we've been able to discern is just you're able to create anything within that space. um, And yet there's just infinite amount of it there, right? Like, it's just just crazy to think about that that's just kind of how space is that there is just this empty void of things in all directions, and I, I can't even fathom it. So, it's so hard to wrap your brain around. Yeah, but I do. I think the easiest answer is what was there before, and I just say God. So, but God probably has a better explanation <laughs> of what that is. So, um, number eight: If we rid the world of corruption, would this solve poverty? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it wouldn't solve problem uh, poverty, but it would it would uh, do away with a lot of poverty, particularly poverty in the third world. Like you, if you look at poverty in Africa, the reason why African countries are poor is because of corrupt governments. They've been it. It it is government poor, uh, corrupt governments, g- corrupt government leaders hoarding millions if not tens and hundreds of millions of dollars that stupid white people keep handing over and they just keep taking and not handing over to their people so uh sure from a global standpoint government corruption in particular with along with government working with private would would solve a lot of it yeah and look i look I'm a fr- I'm a free marketer as an American, and I can tell you what we have in the United States. If if you're if you're listening to this and you find yourself on the on the right side of the political spectrum, and you you still wake up every morning thinking we live in a free market economy, you do in what you do and how you transact and interact in the in day-to-day and year-to-year and month-to-month and all that, yeah, you, you're you pretty much left to operate within a free market economy. But don't fool yourself. The United States is not a free market economy. The government, the United States is very much a corrupt, increasingly klepto market. Yeah. Oh, yeah I'll, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think um, I think ultimately, like what we would get from this is, I think, like Tim said, it would 
it would solve a lot of poverty. I don't know if it would get rid of it because I still believe that laziness would still exist. Sure. And uh, just some people are... Laziness would still exist. You're still going to have people... There's still going to be greed and the world as it exists, the the fallen world relies on power structures, whether it be government and not... private citizens or rich and poor and the equal and the 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 battle is always trying to minimize the power concentration or the wealth concentration but you're always going to have rich people you're always going to have poor people yeah it's just trying to create a structure that will minimize that concentration of wealth and power number nine would knowing your date of death affect how you live life (laughs) Uh, I think for most of us, including myself, yes. I think everybody would have to say but yes. But th- the sad part is, if we internalize that, it shouldn't. I mean, we should know there is a date, so we should just live the same way we would if we knew that date. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, when people have been told they've got terminal cancer or something, uh, it sh- certainly leads to a difference in how they live, whether it be they take the trip they never took or they get serious about their faith or and tell as many people. I mean, that's probably what I would do is even get even more serious about my faith and just not care anymore about offending someone or having someone roll their eyes and just keep telling everybody about Jesus. And the question is, should we be living that way every day anyway? Because... I might die tomorrow. That's right. There's a funny video that I had seen on uh, uh, the evil TikTok um, as we're going through these embarrassing. Uh, oh, goodness. South Park is going to have a field day with <laughs> this uh, TikTok uh, trials that have been going on. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, um saw this really funny video about, uh, well, and it was just somebody talking about how... Uh, how Christians act about Jesus coming back and it's uh, Dwight and Jim from the office and it's the scene where Dwight, I don't even know what they're talking about, but I've seen the scene so many times and he's like, could be one month, could be two months. (laughs) And then Jim's like, it could be three months. And Dwight's like, I see that as a very real possibility. And they just keep going back and forth. Jim just keeps like extending the date. And like, that's how Christians are about Jesus coming back. We're like, I see that as a very real possibility. (laughs) Yes, that could happen. Yes. So I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm going to mention again. It's on my big whiteboard here in this office we record from. It's a Jack London quote. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. Shout out Jack London. Love that guy. It's White Fang and the Call of the Wild right there, guys. I think it's a great quote. That's phenomenal. Another way of saying it is uh, from the Shawshank Redemption. Either get busy Get busy living or get busy dying. (laughs) (laughs) Number 10. Can a human fathom the true depths of reality and existence? (laughs) No. I don't think so either. 
I think, you know, the, I, I think that in scripture, and I mean, like, as much as we want to talk about, you know, how much of scripture is true and all that, go oh, like, like the Old Testament stuff, um, I, and like, especially like the book of Job, uh, Jesus, or God intervenes with Job and is like, you have no idea, like, what is going on. Like you're, and I think that we are so self-absorbed that we can't do it. Well, look, I would argue we're barely doing a good job hanging on to the reality we do I have. I know, I know. So. Just imagine, like, one of the things that I think about is when we talk about with people and we say, hey, can you be able to just, can you think of a new color? And we can't do it, right? Like, there's no, like, our brains can't do it. Right. And so think about, like, colorblind people. So they have the exact same thing that we have going on. They know that there's this color out there, but they can't imagine it. Like you can't describe to them what the color yellow looks like. Right. right? The red, green colorblind people, they're like, it's all green. And then you give them, and then now they have those colorblind lenses, right? And they, they toss those on. And like almost every single video you watch of like somebody who has those, they like end up in tears. And they and they are baffled. Yeah, every single time they're completely shocked. They're like, "That what?" Like they can't like grasp their mind. Like the first time that they've seen that color ever in their life. And so my thing is like, I believe that there is stuff out there where God, like we can't fathom it. <laughs> Our brains wouldn't be able to process it, and when. Eight, uh, at some point, if you believe in heaven, this extra, you know, stuff that happens after life, and you get exposed to some of this stuff, I think it'll be, thank goodness I was not exposed to that when I was on <laughs> Earth. I would not have been able to handle it. There's a psychological term. If you just boiling down reality to choice, which is just a really a insignificant or a minor part of reality there's there's been studies about this but the new york times had a wonderful article late 80s early 90s uh someone from uh eastern europe country it was either like east germany or russia i think came over to the united states um to live they immigrated over and someone took them to the grocery store and took him to the infamous cereal aisle. <laughs> and yeah. the person literally wept because... There's so many choices. They could not handle the amount of choices. Right. And that, again, there's, some, there's a term for this where the human mind will like melt down if it's given too many choices and paralysis will take over at best or you'll just like have an emotional meltdown because you cannot process the amount of choice that's been thrown at you. And uh, some of us experience this on YouTube or Spotify. <laughs> I just have so much, so much music I can handle. Uh, but yeah, and that, and that's just a tiny speck of what we're talking about in the spectrum of reality. Right. I mean, you were talking about it. You spend too much time. It's kind of what Tyson was talking about with the whole, with the whole keeping himself up at night, it's that the, it's gotten so... He's probably got some kind of 
contextual idea how big the universe is and if it gets that big that people can't see it just makes your makes your brain hurt it, it gives you sleeplessness because you can't right handle it All right, we're on to five questions, existential questions about life. We've got 10 questions left total. Some of these, again, they're faster than others. So number one, is wisdom or intelligence more useful? Wisdom. Wisdom. I don't think that there's a lot of argument there. I think that if you've read a book or uh, seen movies, you'll know that wisdom is... Intelligent, with, intelligent people with no wisdom blow up the world. Yes. You can be wise and have little intelligence and survive in this world. If you are, if you have no intelligence and no wisdom and you're poor, you just fuck up your own life. If you are rich and intelligent and no wisdom, you, everyone, please find a way to get that person out of power. But wisdom by far. The bigger question is wisdom learned or is it like intelligence where it's like a gift? I believe that wisdom is something that's earned or learned. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's what's that's what's important about it's reading. That healthy books. suffering is more like it's the uh, healthy suffering. It's it's the importance of reading books, or even if you want to, you know, watch TV shows that are somehow deeped in uh, humanity travel. and how travel, travel, absolutely travel. Just things that will give you different perspectives and experiences number two this is a good question what's the difference between living and existing oh it is a good question you either get busy living or you get busy dying <laughs> wow i actually i think that, that it's quote, hard to articulate i think that that quote really sums it up for me personally <laughs> i think that if you look at you know the shawshank redemption and you look at uh it's red, right? It's the character. Yeah. Um, his time in the in confinement or whatever, uh, he was getting getting busy dying. It was about you know <laughs> I'm never getting out of here. This life isn't anything. Um, and he just had this very negative outlook on life um, and just kind of his circumstance. And you just he just kind of let life happen to him there. But Andy always was keeping his mind on living. Yeah, I think I think you've stumbled upon that is the exact way to answer that question. Andy goes in, and it's not just because Andy knows he's innocent. No, it's not. It, in fact, him being innocent doesn't come up for two-thirds of the movie. Well, except for at the very beginning when he always says that he's innocent. Right, but... They're all innocent. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, go... The moments in the movie that are that are the uplifting ones. It's funny. It's that m movie does a great job of making you kind of feel like a prisoner, not in some oppressive way where like you feel claustrophobic, but you just kind of feel like it. You feel like you said the drudgery of Red and the other inmates. Inmates just kind of being like. We get from one meal to the next. Uh, if you're the old timer, 
you're handing out books. There's the drudgery of handing out books from the library. Right, it's your job. You get the... And Amy says, no, we're not going to just do that. We're going to get more books, and we're going to get records, and we're going to actually enjoy ourselves and enrich ourselves, and I'm going to teach people how to read, and I'm going to do people's taxes. I'm going to... When we volunteer to be on the roof, I'm going to make sure I get my friends out uh, some beers and enjoy themselves like they're free. And the joy he gets out of it is not drinking beer, but watching them enjoy themselves on this hot afternoon on a roof. The enjoyment of listening to Mozart over the PA. And when he comes back out of confinement, they say, how was it alone? I, I wasn't alone. I had Mozart. I had Beethoven. I all had it in my head. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, he's experiencing life. Well, he's experiencing life, and as I said earlier, living is hoping. Living is hoping for the... Existing is not hoping for a better tomorrow. It's just whatever happens tomorrow could be bad, could be better, could be worse. I don't care. Just we're getting from one day to the next. Living is hoping for a better tomorrow, hoping for an improvement, hoping for something. Yeah, and so we hope that if you're just sitting there and you're you're getting busy dying, so to speak, I hope that you, hopefully that that right there maybe changes something for you where you're maybe you feel like you're in a rut or something like that where it's like I don't really know where things like I don't know what's up or down. I'm just kind of going through the motions and that kind of stuff. Is you need to find what makes you get up in the morning or something of that nature and i'm not saying like it's that easy um i know that uh there is a book that i read this last year um they called it it's kind of a funny term for it but they called it your unicorn space um and it's just kind of this this what seems like this untouchable kind of mystical place but this is really what gives people their purpose in life um is something where they are able to contribute um, to the world. Um, and that's something that you need to find for yourself. Is there something that you feel like you contribute? This book that I read, it was, uh, it, it's a female, like it's written for females. It's written by a female. My wife and I were reading through it and my wife asked me, she's like, what's your unicorn space? And I was like, 100%. It's this podcast. It's still being, it's that opportunity to feel like I'm contributing uh, something to the world uh, for me to have good conversation and to be excited about and you know prepare for and do all that kind of stuff and so uh, those are kind of one of those things where it's like it's one of those things that you do to get busy living yeah um, yeah so I think that that's good there's an element of that also not to draw this out too long but yeah. I just watched rewatched Sleepless in Seattle recently oh. and he's, he's Tom Hanks loses his wife he and his son moved to Seattle. He's still depressed. His son calls into this late night doctor something show and tells the lady his dad his dad's always sad and she gets him on the radio and she asks him what's what's he gonna what's the plan? What's next? And he says, I'm just gonna get up and get up every morning and breathe in and breathe out. And that's what I'm gonna do. And that's existing. And that's why his son recognizes that he's sad. Because he's still dealing with the loss of his wife. And it's not until Tom Hanks decides to start dating again that he gets himself out of this existence and starts living. Right. 
not in a way his son wants because he's not dating the right woman. He's not trying to date Meg Ryan, but, you know, that's that's <laughs> how these things go. Number three is a life focused on avoiding pain, a worthwhile life. Kind of talked about that already. Yeah, no. We said no. Um, I, we said that there's a healthy amount of pain that you should endure. Um, and I think that even there's times where, like, you should seek it out. Um, where maybe there's things that are, I don't know, I don't think that you should actively go out and seek out things that are no good for you, but... Well, <laughs> that, that depends on how broadly you define pain. It might be where you have a good job, it's not fulfilling you, and I'm not one who thinks your job should be necessarily your fulfillment in life, but let's say if it's deleterious... Maybe you should quit without any kind of financial backing to really put some short-term pain to really get you going to find what you need to be doing, what your purpose is. Yeah, I was like, mine was more like, I don't want to say it and be like, yeah, you should really go for that toxic relationship or, you know, like it's going to go down in flames. Oh, no, absolutely but not. It's like, no, no, that's not what I mean. I'm just saying that there are, there are good lessons to be learned. Um, I don't know that we should look for pain. I would say that a lot of us compound. I say we shouldn't be afraid of pain. We shouldn't be afraid of it. And when pain is inevitably or seemingly inevitably coming, do not compound the pain by trying to avoid it is, is what I would. Don't, don't actively seek it, but also don't double down on your pain or, or create all kinds of other pain by trying to avoid some kind of certain pain that's coming, particularly if... The pain's because of something you've done. Are you ready for number four? Yep. It's the old man question. What piece of advice would you give to others about life? <sighs> oh, boy. This is a tough question. <clears throat> There's a lot of things. But, like, let's say that you had to sum it up in one sentence. What would you say? I think there's a lot of cliche stuff out there. There's a lot of other stuff. I was like, I think... All right. I don't think there's one good answer. And there's not one good answer. So my answer, based on my experience and what I think has made my life rich, is surround yourself with people that you make better and they make you better. And I've had the I, the blessing I've had, other than a wife and a good wife and family, is I have always been able to... <laughs> glob myself onto <laughs> good men who make me want to be better and I would hope they want to be better not because we have some profound Shakespearean discussion or you know discussions like this but just uh, well every once in a while someone says something profound or you're someone someone trusts to come and ask advice and say what do you think I should do for this or you just live in a way where they see how you're living and you see how they're living and you say, I want to be more like that guy. And hopefully they want to be more like you in some area maybe where they find themselves deficient. So that would be my thing. I think mine also needs a little bit further explanation. I think there's lots of good answers. I think just for me and where I was at, and when I think of this question, I think of people that are younger than me. And something that I wish that I could tell a lot of the high schoolers that I work with, but I can't really tell them because I don't think that, like, they say it well enough. But I think mine would be, I think that you should not give a flying fuck 
about what anybody thinks about what you should do or how you should live your life. Um, I think I just see so many people experience the pressures of that. Uh, they experience it from their parents. They experience it from their peers. They experience it from the pressures of their siblings, from people that are younger than them. They experience it from everywhere. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're your own person. This is your life. Uh, are you who you want to be? Um, to quote a Switchfoot song. And I think that that quote is huge. I ask that question to my students uh, once a year because I, I think that that song really captures kind of teenagers. I think it captures people. I think that's why there's like a midlife crisis when you sit there and you say, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? Are you doing what you want to do? Because this is it. It, it. Would a younger you have been proud of you, of what you had accomplished, of the things? Now, don't get me wrong. A younger you probably would have thought, like, we needed to be rich and we needed to have lots of money and those things aren't what's important. But meanwhile, they're sitting there and they look at your life and do they see you as happy? If they look at you, are you happy? Are you who you want to be? And so that's why it's like, don't give, like, I, the reason why I say a flying fuck is because it, it almost needs to be that vulgar to get people's attention on the idea of you should not care about what other people think about what it is that you want to achieve in life. You need to do what you want to do. Now, that doesn't mean go and be a prick. Um, <laughs> like, there's people out there that think that. No. You do need to care about other people in those senses, but as far as what your dreams and aspirations are, you need to go out there and do them. Go out there and do what it is that you want, um, not what other people have written for you. Um, so it's not a motto that you can use in everyday life, but it is something that you can think about whenever you are figuring out your dreams. So anything else on that? No, I think that's good. Number five, what one sh thing should every human experience at least once in their, li in their lives? An Oklahoma Sooners National Championship. No, that's the wrong answer. You're... A <laughs> uh, uh, weekend of Pliny the Younger. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good answer. My answer was going to be sex. <laughs> <coughs> I don't know. There's a lot of things people should experience. I can't. I can't boil it down to one. One thing that every person. Should... I can't boil it down to one either. Uh... And, you know. I mean, look. Well, let's stipulate that the. I'm not even gonna say cheesy. It's it, you know the the Christian answer is we would hope everyone gets experience the a relationship the with their savior. But uh, other than that, I can't. There's a lot of things. Nope. I got it. 100% every single person, and as much as it pains the National Park Services, I think every single person needs to experience what it's like to drive out from the other side of the tunnel at Yosemite National Park and look out over Yosemite Valley and just, just, <laughs> that's an experience that every, every single person needs to have. That's like one of my favorite things in life is driving out from underneath that tunnel and just looking out. You got Half Dome on the other side of the valley and it just, oh. You got the El Capitan on your left. You got the three sisters on your right. Oh, man. It is prime. Uh, beautiful, beautiful national park. Um, and it's just a really cool experience. I don't think anybody's going to, like, 
everybody's going to be like, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. But I'm just saying that's something. That's not a bad answer. <laughs> it's like, I love no, that. No, seriously. I mean, you know, it's a very modern answer. Uh, we already said that there was like the very obvious one that we were getting <laughs> out of the way. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Build. Uh, they. Everybody needs to experience a real, honest, genuine relationship with someone. Happy now. Sure. <laughs> All right. Our last five questions are existential questions about love. Oh boy. Do soulmates exist? No. Yeah, I agree. Which is funny because I've used the term before for my wife. Well, I think you should. Whoever you you find, you should feel that way. You should certainly feel that way because that leads you to then maybe questioning whether or not that person's the one for you. But this thing that we, you know, that this Romeo and Juliet idea of there's one true person out there. They're not soulmates. They're star-crossed lovers. It's the same thing. It's nonsense. Emphasis on lovers, just so we're clear. Yeah. It's nonsense. Nobody nobody acknowledges that. There's there's star-crossed lovers. Teenage lovers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nobody thought nobody nobody in the audience thought that they were anything other than teenagers who just wanted to screw around. Yeah, like it was a very apparent by the fact that Romeo was obsessed with the girl, and then like five minutes later, not obsessed with her anymore. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we all think that it's a huge love story. We're like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Nope, everybody else thought it was stupid at the play. <laughs> <laughs> everybody was like groaning over Romeo. No, I don't believe in soulmates. It goes, it's kind of like, it's a romantic view, the romantic view of destiny. You're not destined for one person. If you should feel that way once you're married to them, and God forbid that spouse uh, spouse die before you do, I understand if that's it, you feel as if that's the only person for you, and you never want to, I'm not talking about that, but no, there's not like one person for you. That's kind of, yeah, but so if if you if Mary and and Stevie are supposed to be soulmates and Ricky comes along and knocks up Mary and they're then we've caused all kinds not just one problem but that then expounds to all kinds of other relationships that the soulmates should have been connected to. So math can prove how stupid that is. Two, is it easier to love or to be loved? Oh, it's easier to be loved. I agree. Um, well, unless you're an asshole. I I mean, I still... But yeah. I still think it's easier to be loved because like, if you're an asshole, you don't care who loves you. So That's true. If, if you eventually care that... Some, or if, if somebody can't loves you, then you're like, all right, cool. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think that to love is something that it comes naturally with hormones. Um, but yet it's something that you continually have to work on. That's why marriage is hard. Um, yeah. Look, a a marriage ultimately requires you to do the two things that we talk about on the podcast all the time, which is love your neighbor, which in this case is your wife or your husband or whatever, but it's also love your enemy because sometimes that person is your enemy. Right. 100%. (laughs) And... If you can't do both of those things, then that marriage is going to fail. Audrey and Danica, if you're hearing this, we, we meant what we said. <laughs> Number three, what makes someone beautiful? Their soul. The define beauty. Well, that's what, we're, that's what we're trying to define right now. What makes something beautiful? What makes someone beautiful? 
Uh, it's a combination of physical looks and a series of traits that they have that align with what you with what you are attracted to. So if you like a laugh or a certain kind of laugh, what? You're shaking your head. No, I know that was fine. I just thought of somebody's laugh, and I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> about it. I I already imitated that person's laugh on Saturday. I and you were there. Like we all know what I'm talking about. What I'm thinking about, so we're good. Yes, I think that it comes down to. Uh, yeah, I think it comes down to just your personal preferences to what you define as beautiful. And yes, if anybody out there thinks that physical traits don't matter, um, you're you're kidding yourselves. Um, I don't know. This is this is a hot. This is a hard topic, which I will pro. It'll probably get discussed at other points of just how much should physical traits come into play. It, it differs for every person. Um, it does. I, I, there's. I'm sorry. There's a very mm, scientific. There's a psychological. Um, well, the, there's a very just intellectual argument from just the human evolutionary standpoint. Oh yes, I Tim said the word evolutionary standpoint oh of physical attractiveness being required in order to for two people to get together and procreate because procreating is essential to keeping the species going so there's a there's a study that was done and actually my um psychology professor used to do it with his uh psych students and it's kind of funny um because i talk about it occasionally with my students where what they would do or what he would do is however many students in the class so there'd be 32 students He'd put on a sticky note, 1 through 32. Each sticky note had a different number. And then he'd hand them out randomly throughout the class. And what he'd do is he'd say, and he'd hand them face down. And so he'd ask each person, okay, you need to go and you need to stick the sticker or the sticky note on your forehead. And so you don't know what your number is. But you're going to stick it on your forehead. And what he would say is that you need to go and create the largest number that you can possibly create. Um, with you need to go pair up with somebody and create the largest number that you can possibly create. And so what would happen is, is that those that would have the 32s, the 28s, the 30s, the 29s, everybody wanted to be with them, right? Uh, the ones, the twos, the fives, the 20s. Mm -hmm. They all want to be with them, but yet they get to be picky, right? They're like, no, no, I want a 28 or I want a 29 or I want a 30. They're like, okay, those are the people that I want to be with. And so that becomes it. Even though everybody wants to be with them, eventually it all trickles down and then uh, the middle numbers then settle for each other, you know, the 16s, the 17s. Um, and then eventually the last couple that are standing is the 3, 4, 2, 1. <laughs> and what you actually have is actually <laughs> what is the social setting yeah. that exists. That is how popularity works. Correct. And that is also how you end up with who you end up with. Not to, this is how you have your friends. This is how you have your relationships, whatever. It's sad. I know. Well, like, you're the like, cold hard reality. Of <laughs> that's, that's the truth of it. it humanity, is, the human, human, human biology. Right. Is that you sit there and that is how you treat life. Is uh, It's all about those people, but once they get taken, then you trickle down to where you fit. 
Um, yeah, so 500 years ago, the strongest male is going to get be attracted to and to the most attractive woman and vice versa. Versus, She's going to want to be attracted to the strongest male because he's going to protect her from all of the horrible things that are running around in 1523. Right. And he's going to want to procreate and right. also have the most attractive lady around his arm because he's probably going to be the head of the town or head of the country or whatever. Right. right. And so like to sit there and say that those things don't come into play, you're wrong. Um, and so what we all find beautiful is very different for each and every one of us. Um, and so we just need to keep that in mind um, whenever you cast stones at people that may have a different standard of beauty than you do. Sure. And understand that the definition of beauty has changed and is always changing. Number Fat f- people were seen as beautiful in yeah. the in the Renaissance time because it was seen as a and sign ho- of opulence and wealth that ho- you could eat that much. Right. In Hawaii, they're still... Uh, they're still that way. Still I think it was way. that way in parts of China or India or something. It, it was also a thing in the Eastern world. So, Number four, how can you give yourself without losing yourself? Losing yourself to what? In love, when we're talking about it. Oh, in love. How can you give yourself without losing yourself? So I think that we are called to lose ourselves um, to Christ and to his mission, to his vision. That being said, you do need to also take care of yourself, especially in love um, with another person. Um, In my opinion, I think that you need to do you need to take time for yourself. You need to do what makes you happy. Work on the individual. You need to work on yourself as much as you need to work with the other person. Do not continue to give and give and give and give and give um, and never work on yourself because that's just not going to, you're going to lose your identity and your sense of self and there's going to be problems that are going to arise from that. That's just based off of the couple of classes that I've taken on uh, marriage and family when I was going to college, um, that kind of stuff. There's a huge importance to focusing on yourself, and you can strengthen your marriage a lot through doing that. Um, but Tim could probably tell you that I have a different marriage than other people do, so it's not necessarily... <laughs> no, I think, that's, I think that's wise. I'm going to give a totally different answer. Create whatever things in life are your principles do not create a large list of principles because that is untenable plus as jesus followers i think if you've been listening from the beginning or just a couple episodes there's only a few things really that one should hold as a principle i mean i'm not talking about not stealing and that kind of thing but you're one of these types who wants to be a Jesus follower and you're also for guns and you're for this and for that yeah knock it off those things don't matter Understand who you are and what your principles are and do not give yourself over to someone as much as you think you're in love with them. Do not give away those core principles of who you are in order to gain that quote-unquote love of that person. That's good. Our last question of our existential series. Wow, drum roll. Is it better... To have love and lost than to ever have loved at all. <laughs> uh, if you've actually loved, yes. 
I think a lot of times that's used for lust or puppy dog love or a crush. But if it's true love, yeah, absolutely. I still think that this kind of goes back to the question that we, the questions that we've answered tonight on, should we avoid pain and, and suffering and that kind of stuff. And I think that when it comes to this stuff, I think that there are a lot of lessons to be learned from this idea of loving, um, and losing. Uh, and I mean, like, these are things that we have to, and that statement can be very hurtful at times, especially when you watch grandparents or parents go through loss of a spouse and to sit there and say, well, it's better to love and loss than to have ever loved at all, especially when they're in such a dark space. Um, yeah, don't be stupid to say, enough to say that. Yeah, please no. And But I think that this is a question that a lot of people ask about lives when they've loved people. I think a lot of, and especially because I work with high schoolers a lot, they're very afraid of the L word, which is love. But meanwhile, as Christians and as people that are of a part of this world, you should love so many people. Um, there are people that are going to walk in and out of your life, and even if they were only there for a brief time, you still could have loved them um, for that brief amount of time. And I'm not talking about you know this puppy dog love that Tim was talking about or this hormonal love or whatever. I'm talking about that you legitimately saw that person in your life. They were a good friend. Um, and you loved and you cared for them. And, you know, something happens down the road and it breaks your heart or whatever. Um, it was still better for you to have experienced that and to have gotten that time to love um, and experience the love that they gave you and the love that you were able to give them than to never have had that at all, no matter what it is. I don't care how long of a time it was. I still think that that is one of the most important things and uh, and what makes us human so is it harder or agreed on that I, I don't even think it's debatable is it is the trauma harder when the time with that time with someone is shorter or when it's longer uh, or I it doesn't matter or it, the length doesn't matter some situations it might be harder when it's shorter in some situations it might be when it's longer i i think the i i bring this up because i think of the the grief parents have with a child at birth that they've spent no time with it's just been a baby in their belly and it's so traumatic it's the loss well but here just so we're clear and and this is also something and i think that this is a great point to bring up is this is something that when I, I've told this story before of when I've driven past, um, when I drove past Corcoran Prison and I like got emotional out of nowhere and why I get emotional about talking about taking another human's life. Even though I've never known them, even though they've done wrong or whatever, now again in, with the babies, they haven't done anything wrong. And so I think that that's part of it is there's this innocence that's coming in and is being taken away. But ultimately, there's this potential. Right. And so what you are mourning is this is this potential to have loved something, this potential to have cared for something, or this potential for them to have achieved something and those types of things. 
I mean, and when you were asking that question, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to sound too cheesy and, but I'll, I'll quote the, the, the nineties country music band, Diamond Rio. <laughs> if I had one more day, it'd still leave me wishing for one more day with you. <laughs> like, I mean, like that whole line is, I don't think that any time ever, if you truly love someone, would have ever been enough. If you truly love someone, you never wanted it to end. I don't ever think so. I don't ever think that that it's any different. And what's crazy, as believers, we're called to feel that way for every single person on this planet, because God feels that way for every single person on this planet. Yeah, and that's why we talk about suicide being this sin or we talk about murder being this sin or whatever is that this is now god no longer gets or even manslaughter yeah god no longer gets to have this moment with those people you don't get to have that moment with those people anymore and like we sit there and we say god has that but it's never on this earth that god gets to have that moment with his children to show them that love and care and to where he's always wishing for more days. Yeah. And so it's just it's just something to think about. But it's always better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Absolutely. Well, that's it for the existential questions. Anything else you want to add? No, I think that's it. We thank you for listening to another episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Please reach out to us via email at tim at the go to hell podcast.com or colton at go to hell podcast.com. Hit us up on Twitter, go to hell pod, Instagram, and if there's some other platform you'd like to reach out to us, go to hell.